welcome to the podcast, Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. So I think we had a three-day weekend, or a lot of us had a three-day weekend, or at least, you know, it's a holiday weekend. Uh, did you do anything interesting this weekend? What did I do this weekend? Man, that is a great question. Now I can't think. Allergies have been kicking my butt this past week, so I've been dealing with that. But other than that, pretty chill weekend, just like lounging around the house. Nice. <clears throat> so I've been trying to, uh, I mean, I've been doing largely the same thing, just lounging around the house. But lately I've been replaying Kingdom Hearts 1 and I was watching, and not in real time because I don't have that kind of time in my life, but I was watching this guy, he dedicated like 120 uh, or it was 180 hours basically to get to level 100 on Destiny Island to, and to those of you who aren't familiar with Kingdom Hearts, that's like the tutorial island, so it doesn't ever get really hard, so I was like, well, I don't know that I'm going to dedicate 180 hours to doing that, but let's see how far I can get before I actually leave the game and start the uh, actual story. I love a game where you can just play an area forever and just like keep expanding but like never get anywhere. I I like a game that's worth its money. It's just funny to think about like once you get to the first level you're already OP <laughs> and just how easy it must be to play from that point on. I feel like that's what I do in like the Pokemon series games. I will train my Pokemon so much before I reach the first gym that it's just like I'm blowing through the gyms. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, maybe not exactly, but that's pretty close to what I did with Ghost of Tsushima because you could, you know, it's an open world game, so you can do all the side quests and whatnot before you go to the first actual campaign or that the story requires you to do, invade the first castle. <clears throat> and so, like, yeah, I did a bunch of different quests and stuff before I actually did the first castle. So that first castle was a pretty much a breeze for me because my guy was already pretty much leveled up. I think as, like, a kid, I never, like, playing Final Fantasy and all those uh, JRPGs, Growing up, I never did that, but I guess I hit a certain age where I'm like, life would be easier if I just went to the wild area and battled a whole bunch of monsters for an hour and then just got through all the bosses real quick. That would be pretty fun. I also think, like, one thing I always joke about is what if the RPG world was, like, real life? Like, you know how you go... Like, like, what would the world be like if if our life was a JRPG and it's like, oh, you just want to go to a stroll on the beach or something, but, oh, no, now I have random enemy encounters and stuff like that, and you want to go out with your girlfriend to the park or something, but all of a sudden there's a boss battle and you're wondering, man, how are we going to beat them because she's just a level 10 black mage and I don't think that's going to be powerful enough. We should have grinded more before we got here. That is, that's hilarious because it just makes you think, like, when you're walking around in those areas and it's on the screen, it's empty. But then you walk and it's like, and you're in a battle. And it's like, you take another step and you're in another battle. Oh, man. Going to the grocery store would be miserable. Yeah. And then, of course, I always like how in JRPGs, you're in a land that's like 
full of monsters and dangerous and like every step you're just going up against these super powerful monsters yet somehow there's always like a kid or two kids on the path and like the the the, the merchants and stuff and you're like well how did these guys get here without problem oh there's this youtube video about like rpg merchants and how people always go to them but they never want to buy anything it's just selling all your random loot that you get there's a list on the internet i can't remember what it's called but it's uh, like the um I can't remember the exact name or what website it's on, but it's called something to the effect of JRPG cliches or something. And they kind of just list hundreds of cliches you've seen in almost every JRPG. And then one of it's like the economy in JRPGs is amazing because as soon as you sell an item, you can't buy it back because they've already sold it. That is true. It's never in like their inventory. Like I sold you an apple. And you're like, maybe I want that apple. And they're like, sorry, we don't sell apples. Exactly. You think you'd be able to buy back what you sold right away, but nope, it's gone. So like the economy in JRPGs is just astounding. It's like someone standing next to the store like, oh, I'll buy that right now. That thing you sold, I want it. Also the obligatory, you know, the main character's hometown needs to be destroyed. And then of course... It's nice to know that just, like, as the story progresses, the monsters get harder. Like, imagine how screwed you'd be as the main character if you were born in the city where, like, all the monsters surrounding the area were level 80 or something like that. But now you always have the the fortune of being born in a village that's, you know, all the monsters are level 1 and 2. And then later in the story, though, you run into a village that's surrounded by level 60 monsters and everything. I don't know if you ever played World of Warcraft, but that's how I feel playing that game. There are certain zones, and you're like, oh, this is all easy. All the like monsters are level fours. And then you like take a step to the right, and it's like, these monsters are level 100. And you're like, what? what's going on? Mm-hmm. Yes. I could go on and on about JRPG cliches. I wish there was a decent... There might be. Maybe it just never got le- released in America or something, but I wish there was a decent, like, JRPG for Full Metal Alchemist. I know there are some games, like, I think there were two that got released in America, but I think they categorized more into, like, the action-adventure genre than JRPG. I would totally do, like, a, a JRPG where you could have Al and Ed and, I don't know, maybe Mustang and Hawkeye or whoever on your team, and you kind of go through the battles and whatnot. That would be cool. That I that'd be interesting. And then you could pick up like this like the other characters could join your team once you meet up with them, like Armstrong and things like that. Could I keep Hughes alive? Does Hughes have to die? Mm, sure, we can keep him alive. Why not? I'm down. Let's kickstart this. Sure, we just need to get permission, but then I'm all for it. We, could, we also need to find some gamers who know how to code games, because that's outside of my scope of ability. I, I'm sure we can find someone. I live... This is Austin. I'm in Austin, Texas. You can't throw a stone without hitting a game developer. That's true. I'm in San Francisco. Same, similar story. So, I'm sure we can find somebody to do it if we really wanted to. Yeah, it'd be a good idea to reintroduce it, too, because, like, they haven't really 
made new content, I think, since like 2013 or something. Maybe I'm a little off on that, but I'm pretty confident that's right. So, yeah, 2021, 2022, introduced some new Full Metal Alchemist content. Yeah, I feel like the market is ripe for Full Metal Alchemist to make its comeback. Exactly. I am 100% on board with that, and I will be the first person, well... Uh, I would be the one of the first people to play it since I'd be involved with the creation. I guess we can go into the podcast then and talk about our next two episodes. What do you think? Sounds good. All right. Well, today we're doing episode 42 and 43. This one was interesting because we don't really get much from Edward in these episodes. And, you know, you always see him as one of the main characters. So it's just kind of different. Uh, but either way, these are great episodes. So let's jump in with episode 42, Signs of a Counter-Offense. Or, I'm sorry, Signs of a Counter-Offensive. So we join the tunnel team, which now includes Alphonse, and they are in a cabin. Alphonse has been disassembled, and we see him, you know, kind of in a neat little pile in the corner. Everyone's kind of going through the notes, and they record how often they see the word gold. Marco believes that the notes are written in code. Alchemists are just known for writing their research in code, but Scar's brother's notes seem too straightforward, so he suspects that there is just some kind of code there that they're not picking up. Al wakes up. He realizes he's in pieces. They took him apart because, well, he was easier to carry that way. Al mentions that he's only like had a situation like this once where he felt like he was slipping and losing his body or his soul was leaving his body. So that kind of, you know, makes him a little nervous because these two instances were so close together. They start reassembling Alphonse. That may be they need to reassemble the notes. She unbinds the notes and starts to lay the paper on the ground. After laying the paper down, they draw a circle linking the keywords, and they reveal the nationwide transmutation circle. Everyone is upset because, well, they already knew about that circle. Alphonse says that they need to keep trying. There must be another answer. Like, this can't be it. As they just sit there and think, Yoki sneezes, and naturally a sneeze just blows the paper everywhere. Everybody's a little upset, naturally, because they're like, well, how do we put this stuff together we don't know how it was sorted originally yada 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 and as they assemble the papers someone comments that they just can't even tell what pages are upside down and which ones are right side up and all that alphonse then has a genius idea and tells them to flip the pages over they connect the words again after doing that and they see another transmutation circle however one this one looks very different we see kimberly wandering through the tunnels and he is lost he hasn't found it so he decides to turn back. This is when he notices like an old wooden door with a red X painted over it. He decided to investigate. As he goes through, he runs into Pride in his shadow form. They talk and Pride tells him not to worry about finding Scar. He needs to go and carve the Crest of Blood. Sloth is pretty close to being done with digging his tunnel. And so they need to move quickly. Kimberly's like, well, you know, the Briggs soldiers are super strong. It's going to be hard for me to carve a crest of blood there. And Pride says, well, you'll figure it out. Maybe you can make that fact work for you. Miles returns to Briggs, and he mentioned that Kimberly, his men, and Ed are missing. 
No bodies were found near the mine collapse, so he is considered missing rather than dead. However, they have zero leads as to where he could be. We then see Fallman talking to a colleague on the phone, uh, one of Mustang's other men, and they were are talking about troops being sent to fight in different wars. We see a quick flash of trench warfare, and two soldiers die, one declaring that he will live through this. So we kind of see a real-life view of the war and how it takes place and how it takes its toll on people. We learn that Briggs' men are being worked to the bone, and he isn't sure as to why. Sloth finally finishes the tunnel, and Father says the time is near. So now we're in Lior, and they're rebuilding after the rebellion. We see Rose, and she is providing food for all the workers. Looks like everyone is just, you know, trying to get back together, build community, all that stuff. We see Hohenheim on the ground, nearly passed out from hunger, asking for food. Hohenheim talks to the people of Lior, including Rose. Hohenheim asks to be pointed to the Church of Lido. He goes to investigate an underground tunnel. They find a body of water underground that is toxic. Hohenheim figures that it was put there on purpose to keep people away. Hohenheim uses his alchemy and he casually walks across the water, creating a bridge while he does that. He digs deeper to find the tunnel that Sloth made. Shadow version of Pride appears and chases after Hohenheim. Hohenheim tries to stop him by creating many blocks and just things to throw in his path to slow him down, but it just didn't even work. Uh, he is able to save himself in the last minute by escaping the tunnel, and he realizes that the tunnel is essentially the flask for Pride. Pride cannot leave the tunnel or else he'll die. We learn about how Pride's true form is that shadow, and he is limited in movement. He can only freely move in the tunnels and in Central City. Otherwise, he needs a Vestal, and that's what Salim is. Honheim realizes that Pride looks like Father's true form because, well, it's his own Pride. The homunculi were created as a way for Father to expel his sins. Honheim tells Pride to give Father a message. Slave 23 will be dropping in very soon. Then we see Father saying that he's waiting. Hohenheim returns to the villagers and destroys the path. He says that he found stuff, but it's very dangerous and to have everyone stay far away. Rose asks what he was doing, and Hohenheim says he sent a declaration of war. We see Briggs in the middle of a snowstorm, when all of a sudden we see Drachman's soldiers near the border, getting ready to attack. Briggs' soldiers get in place for combat. Kimberly tells the Drachman leader that Briggs is weakened now because Armstrong is missing. Also, Kimberly says that his men are in the inside and will cause internal chaos. And then the Drachman army starts to fire cannons. So this ends with a war, or the start of a war. What were your thoughts of the episode? My original thought of this episode was, I first thought I was watching two episodes because. This one felt so long. I don't know if it felt long for you. I think it did. But even though it felt really long, I really enjoyed it. It was only towards the end when we kind of were jumping around to uh, the other characters like at, at Briggs and uh, Hohenheim. I guess the Hohenheim thing threw me off 
because that's when I thought I was watching two different episodes because uh, it just feels like two separate stories. Uh, we have like Al and May figuring out the code, and then we have Hohenheim uh, back at in Lior uh investigating things but i really enjoyed this episode a lot i agree it was definitely a good episode we got a lot of building there i i do like the episodes that kind of focus on other characters not necessarily that you know i don't want them to focus on the main characters but here it seems like most of the focus wasn't on the brothers so to speak i mean we did get kind of the beginning part where alphonse is with them trying to figure out the puzzle but then the rest of the episode was like Hohenheim and Briggs Soldiers and Kimberly and the Homunculi. And I like that we were getting all this exposition and a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, I was really scared at the beginning because Al's body is disassembled. And we never really seen Al's body disassembled other than his head, which comes off quite often in the series. But to see him laid out in pieces was unusual. Yeah, we never really see that. I mean, obviously, he is a you know a suit of armor, so he can be taken apart and stuff. But yeah, we never really see that happen up until now. I do wonder if he can control control like the hand. I don't know. I don't necessarily understand how uh, it all works together, but. It is interesting because we know Al doesn't sleep or eat, but I guess he can pass out. Yeah, and I think this is like the only, what, the second time we've seen him pass out? He does say that this is the second time that he, yeah, well, because the last time was just a couple episodes ago when he was trying to warn them. Exactly. So this is definitely just very weird for us compared to other other experiences we've had we've just never seen him just pass out and stay asleep or whatever you want to say uh, unconscious that's i guess that's a way we could say it like we've never seen him really unconscious like this and it does kind of make you wonder like what's going to happen to him long term like is he really slipping so i think like the this one one example we saw was just more with the fact that ed was dying because we see that as that's happening he passes out as well but that first time uh, we have no idea why it happened it just seemed to come out of nowhere yeah and i do find it interesting that they were like Oh, we need to uh, put let's put you back together, and then they kind of stop putting them back together after they figure out kind of the first uh, clue to the the notebook. Yeah, I guess they're just like, well, we've got a we we can wait. We got to do this while we have our uh, while we have our uh, you know this on our mind right now. And how, what a crazy risk May was taking. By just ripping the book apart. Yeah, you could tell how angry Marco was when that happened. And it's and it also makes you wonder, like, what a what a uh, like a smart person or very intellectual person to like create a code like that in their book without 
Well, I don't know. Did he, you think he wrote it out like that, and then he bound his book together? Absolutely. I absolutely think he did, because, like, there's no way that it just coincidentally landed that way. But yeah, that's, that is an interesting way that he wrote the code, because, like, we saw in an earlier episode... When Marco was writing his code, or when they found the books with Marco's code in it, he essentially made it all look like recipes. So that was a little messed up, or not not so much messed up as much as uh, there to throw people off. But from what Marco said about this, it seemed pretty straightforward. So it was like a code hidden in plain sight. So I think, yeah, his brother, Scar's brother, who never gets a name, unfortunately, so we just call him Scar's brother. Uh, we, you know, we just, we see that he is just incredibly smart and gifted in this area. And that's, that brings up another interesting point that like Marco hid his thing in a cookbook, but he wasn't like, maybe there's another code in, in this book. Cause his first react, well, actually they found the first code and then he thought it was hopeless. So I, I guess he's right in a sense that. There was one code. Yeah. Like, he knew that there was a code. He was just trying to figure it out, which is why they were, like, trying to get all the mentions of gold or whatever it was and all that stuff. But, yeah, it was a visual code, it looked like, because, yeah, they had to actually unbind the papers and kind of line up the words to be able to draw out the circle. So, like, I guess the way the words showed up on the papers or whatever made up uh, a point on the on the transmutation circle. And then as they flip it over, they see the second transmutation circle, which looks very different. Presumably, it is another nationwide transmutation circle. I have no idea what they are going to do, or at this point, we have no idea what this is for. My guess would be that maybe it's a counter for the larger one we see because you know you flip over and you see another transmutation circle but who knows i i hope this is kind of like a reverse transmutation like i don't know everything is such large scale though so it's kind of wondering where we go from this point and then we're doing this they never put al's body back together but we cut over to hohenheim and Lior, and then we get to see what what Rose is up to. You know, like uh, someone the brothers encountered, but we never kind of. It's interesting seeing a character all the way back from season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was kind of a minor character up until that point, but now we're seeing. I guess technically she is still a minor character, but we're seeing her again. So it's showing that she has more purpose, I guess you could say. It is interesting because they, they kind of were like, you got to make your own path at the end of her episode. She was so bent on bringing, was it her brother? Uh, her lover. Oh, she was so bent on bringing him back to life and just following whoever said that they, they could bring him back for her, that she never really had her own trail or did her own thing. But now we see like her trying to help the community that, cause she was on the wrong side 
And now she's trying to rebuild the community. And a lot's happened in that town since they left. Yeah, I mean, it does seem nice that she's actually, you know, trying to improve the situation. Like, not just in her own life, but the people around her. We see her feeding people and stuff. Like, we kind of just leave her at, what is it, episode two, episode three, whatever that was. Kind of just leave her to be left with her thoughts as... Edward and Al tell her, you know, find your own path and stuff. We just don't know what happens with her then. I guess we could just assume that she did. But now, yeah, we actually get confirmation here that she indeed went off and found her own way. And is doing good for other people. And then we realize that, well, we already knew that the tunnels went through all these different cities that major things have happened to but now we know that Hohenheim knows about these tunnels and knows enough about it to be like, this is where I investigate. Yeah, I think he definitely is on to whatever it is father is planning. Because we do see in that episode where we have the flashback and he leaves his family and everything. He seems to be looking at, I don't know, a map or some research or papers. I can't remember exactly what he's looking at. But then he says something like, oh, he's going to do it again, or, or some to that effect. And it's it, it's like, oh, okay, he must be aware that Father is trying to create another nationwide transmutation circle, and he's probably calculated where all the points are the same way the brothers did, and presumably Mays Hughes did by looking at all the points where a war was taking place. And he also has the background knowledge of knowing how they did it the first time, too. So. Yeah, he's probably well aware, and he's probably just checking up on things and whatnot. He's, you know, he made a declaration of war, as they said. So he definitely has a plan of some sort, but we just don't know exactly what. And it's it's interesting, like, seeing him encounter Pride Mm -hmm. down in the tunnels. And now we know that there's kind of a limit to his uh, his reach. That he's kind of confined to this uh, this area, these circles. Yeah, he is. Um, at least in his true form, so like which is the shadow. And as Hohenheim mentions, the sh- you know, it's funny that this is the first homunculus that he creates. Its name is Pride. It is supposed to be the embodiment of father's pride and it looks just like what father's true form looks like and just like father's true form who was limited to being in just a flask uh pride is also limited to his quote unquote flask which in his case is much larger it is this tunnel that circles the entire country but it is still a limitation and unless he gets into a a bodysuit so to speak which is Salim. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, like, I never thought about that at all. I guess we just realized, like, who Father's true form was, uh, you know, in the little jar. But I never thought about that, that that's why Pride looks like that, because it's his true form. Yeah, now it kind of makes sense. And then, of course, all the other homunculi as he mentions they're all there for uh essentially they are all there to be 
father's sins or whatnot. So I guess father is trying to make himself a better being or something like that. And part of that is kind of, you know, throwing out these sins and I guess having them be his foot soldiers. It did feel like though pride was like, I left all that weakness and father something. He says something along the lines of like, Hohenheim asking about it, like, I don't know, is it compassion or something? Some other like feeling that pride should be having. He's like, that's that's left in father. Yeah, I can't. I'm drawing a blank on what it was. Maybe somebody else will remember, but I I do know what you're talking about. Like he does say something about left behind it with father, which it, all these like. I guess these seven deadly sin homunculus people are supposed to be like the different emotions of him, but it, it does. I do wonder what's left inside father. I'm guessing just the virtues. Like if, 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 you know, if we were going based on like, you know, biblical stuff or, you know, where the seven deadly sins origins originate for, which ironically is not the Bible at all. Uh, but, you know, the seven deadly sins is also accompanied by seven deadly, or not seven deadly, but seven virtues. I can't remember what they are because they're not deadly. Uh, uh, seven lively virtues, I don't know. So maybe he just has the virtues left, I'm guessing. And then now I'm wondering if we're like, because we still don't quite understand what the plan is with this giant transmutation circle. We We know that it's probably to create another... Uh, philosopher's stone of some sort but t- what is it to be used for and now i'm wondering if we're running mm-hmm. into like a thanos situation where father believes he's doing such like he's trying to do such good in his mind that the bad outweighs what good can happen possibly i don't even know if it's that i guess that in depth because we do see in the earlier episodes that he is just he does not care for humans at all he sees them as lower beings and everything so I don't know that he is at all sympathetic to the human needs I'm just wondering I'm just thinking like what what emotions are left in father if he's kind of expelled himself of these things and what what drives him because I I feel like back in the couple episodes we watched ago that he wanted to be free and he wanted to have his own body. But now, we're, like, what is his second step? Hmm. Yeah, I guess we're just going to have to figure out. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping we figure out. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> that would be horrible if this series, this show ended, like, just like, sorry, no answer. <laughs> yeah, just like, Okay, yeah, that's that's it. Uh, bye, everybody. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting, kind of seeing Father go through. We're seeing his plan come together. Uh, we're seeing the circle come together. We're at the last, the last point at Briggs, and it's interesting seeing that that when he was in the jar, that he can manipulate people to do what he wanted, but it seems like now he's using more force. When I feel like he was better as a manipulator. But, yeah. 
Maybe he just likes people doing the work for him. I like how we're getting more clues onto. I guess I don't. We're getting closer to see where we're heading with this circle, because we're at the last point, and Briggs, and, and Briggs is under attack at the end of this episode. Yes, and under what's his face under um, Kimberly's orders as well. So. A lot is happening, and I think maybe we should join them and see what how they handle it. I'm ready. Okay, so next episode is 43, Bite of the Ant. Picking up exactly where we left off, Briggs is under siege. However, Drachma is no match for them. They are decimated easily. Kimberly double-crossed Drachma in order to carve the crest. The Briggs soldiers were a bit confused as to why Drachma attacked, and also why it was so easy to destroy them. Alphonse is trying to learn Alchemy from May. He is clearly more scientific-minded, while she is talking about the dragon's pulse and feeling the dragon's pulse and everything. It, it really plays as kind of like a uh, Western versus Eastern philosophy, or Western versus Eastern medicine. Uh, Scar apologizes for imposing on the Ishvalan villagers, but they say it's not an issue. The people are actually kind of helping by being around because they're playing with the kids and, you know, that's kind of keeping them distracted from all the problems and also helping them do laundry and stuff like that. Zampano has wandered off. We see him heading into the woods to meet an Ishvalan that turns out to be Envy in disguise. So has Zampano betrayed them? In Central, the Fuhrer mentions Teresa that he has heard that she knows about Salim and his true identities. She confirms he asks for her opinion on the leader of her country being homunculus. She said that she's sad that the family isn't real. They're just pretending to be humans that they despise. Fuhrer mentions that, you know, she's correct. Everything, his name, his rank, Salim was given to him. But he actually chose his wife. So he learned a little bit more about him there. Gerso and Marco are talking back in that village. Gerso asks if he is truly the awesome fifth laboratory doctor that they had heard of. And, you know, he says, well, yeah, well, I mean, I was a good doctor and everything, but I, I worked with a small team, so it wasn't just me, and I haven't spoken to them in ages. Zomboda returns with the drifter, and then, of course, the drifter reveals his true identity. As Envy walks, he steps on the ground, and a spike appears and pierces his foot. Zampano has actually double-crossed Envy and brought him into a trap. They figured that Envy would be excited at the opportunity to take Marco alive, so if they mentioned that Marco was here, he'd show up. Every time he steps, he is hit by a quote-unquote landmine of alchemy. He is told that they are only set to detonate when a homunculi stands on them. In reality, it's May just using her remote alchemy from a hidden location. Envy is getting angry at all this, so he takes his monstrous dragon form. Scar and the Chimera join the fight. Scar uses his destruction alchemy to harm Envy, and it does look like Envy's down for the count, but then he gets back up and he grabs Marco with his tongue. He threatens punishment on Marco, like wiping out the village of, in of innocent people, uh, th this nearby slum. But then he said it may be better to bring all of the people from the slum back to Central so that they can become philosopher's stones. Marco is angry to hear that they are still making stones and demands that Envy let his research team go. 
Envy then reveals that they had already used his team to create another Philosopher's Stone, the one that they gave to Kimley. Envy points out that it's hypocritical for Marco to get upset over his people being used to make a stone when Marco used many people to make a stone. Marco says that Envy is right. Marco knows all the pain that goes into making a stone, but he also knows how to destroy one. He moves his hand and reveals a transmutation circle on it. He touches Envy and breaks down his Philosopher's Stone. We see Envy start to melt. He returns to his human form, but even that human form starts melting. He is so upset to be losing, and then he takes his true, true form. It's like this little tadpole lizard-like thing with like six legs and whatnot. It's, it's itty-bitty. They return to the village, and apparently Yogi and Winry were not in on the plan. Marco says, you know, he wanted to be just like Winry's parents, being willing to put her, himself on the line and risk his life for doing the better good, just like they were able to put everything aside for them to help people on the front lines and ultimately lose their life. Well, this little Envy character bites on Yoki's neck and hijacks his mind. Envy mentions that he'll kill Yoki if they don't do what he asks. The entire team just pretends not to care. They say that they'll destroy Envy and Yoki if he doesn't surrender. Well, Envy gives up, and Envy asks where Edward is. Al says that, well, you know, he must be in Briggs by now. Well, Envy says that it was reported that he is missing, so he must be dead. They don't believe him at first, but now they decide on what they need to do. They decide to keep moving. That's what Edward would have wanted. Scar decides to split from the group for a while. He wants to change the country for good. So he has had a total 180 about destroying the country. Instead, he wants to improve it. He asks Marco to join him. Al wants to go to Lior. And then Scar gives May the, the jar that they're keeping Envy in. He is the secret to immortality, after all. May objects as she has to teach Al the basics of alchemy. Scar yells to have her leave. She needs to worry about her country, not a mistress. Everyone says their goodbyes and departs from the slum. We jump to Dublin for the first time in a while. And one of the lizard chimera from Greed's old crew is seen in the shadows. He is listening at the two soldiers who are looking for Azumi Curtis. Apparently she is on vacation. They mention that they'll just return to Bradley. This triggers a flashback in the chimera as he remembers Bradley slaughtering his companions and taking down Greed. So the Chimera chooses to tail the soldiers by attaching to the bottom of their car as they drive off. Now we finally see the two Armstrong siblings interact. It is clear that the General is the bully of the two as she pins down the Major. They talk a little bit about the Drachma attack. They talk a little bit about the Drachma attack. Then the General punches him and leaves because she doesn't want to capture his cowardice. She runs into senior staff. The man gives her a secret tour. He asks what the laws of alchemy are, at least in terms of state alchemists. She acknowledges that an alchemist has to obey the military, can't create gold, and can't create people. While the state wants them to obey the military for obvious reasons, they can't create gold, as that would result in financial disaster for the nation. And as far as creating bodies, well, Armstrong thinks it's an ethics question, you know, the whole taboo of doing human transmutation and everything. However, the state doesn't really care about ethics. They don't want 
the alchemist to create an army. At this point, he opens a room and reveals a secret army of inhuman beings that are being created to essentially be foot soldiers for them. And the episode ends right there. So even more is revealed. We don't get Edward, but we still get to learn a lot. What would you think? The ending of this episode is insane. I was on the edge of my seat. I had to rewind it because I couldn't fully comprehend that we're seeing this kind of giant room full of bodies. Like, not dead bodies, but like bodies they created. And then I was very sad because May left. And it seemed like our team that we just got together is now splitting apart. Yeah, that is kind of sad to see May leave because she was a good part of the team. And now it's like, well, how's Al going to learn Alchemistry now? I mean, I guess now that they have that book, they can maybe find some secrets because clearly the alchemy or whatever that Scar is using is some kind of hybrid alchemy Alchemistry. So I don't know, maybe you can learn that way. But yeah, I mean, I was really liking May and we're seeing people split up, but my guess is all the people who are staying in the country, like we don't really know where Scar is going. He just says that he needs to do something. He wants to bring Marco. And then while well, we know that Al is going to Lior and stuff, but yeah, we don't really know where what they're going to do. I imagine that they're going to meet up again. Uh, with Al going to Lior, I can only imagine that he's going to run into Hohenheim there. And yeah, but now we're losing May, and I, I know it's going to be a while before everybody's back together again. Yeah, and I, I just felt like May's final, not that she wasn't a part, like didn't fit in with the group, but she's finally given herself up to this cause. You know, her main mission was to find eternal life to bring it back to the king but at this moment she's like there's bigger things that need to be done and i feel like i could help this team but then scar sends her off and i'm just i'm upset and sad yeah i did like her as a character uh she had started to grow on me as you know at first she was just kind of the cute kind of chibi girl or whatever term you want to use that you see in most anime, but she did definitely add value to the team. So it is sad to see her go. Uh, and she wanted to stay. Like you mentioned, she did want to stay. She, she didn't seem as concerned about the country as much as she was concerned about making sure Al understood history so that, I don't know, he'd be useful for the country or he can get his body back or something. But then Scar insisted that she leave, that she, focuses on her own country because you know even she said even she said that her nation or her clan was on the brink of death and if she doesn't get the secret of immortality and become its emperor then there there's no there's no hope for them so you know he's saying you worry about your country and your people we'll worry about our country and our people yeah i just i don't want to say goodbye to me and it's weird that Envy is in that little jar thinking about it. Like she's like just carrying Envy around now. Yeah. Just in this like large Mason jar type thing. And Envy can't be larger than the size of like, I don't know, 
I wanted to say like croissant, but I don't even think he's that big. And how awesome is Marco in this episode? Kind of a character I did not think was going to be this cool, amazing alchemist. I, you know, you know he's a great alchemist, but you only think of him as a like a lab person or researcher. But I mean, when it came time, he he pulled out like a really great action scene in this episode. He did. And he helped in a major way too. Like he planned, it's assumed that he planned this entire strategy of trying to capture envy and stuff. And he, I don't know if he planned on getting caught. We've never really seen a transmutation circle on his hands before. Not that I've been paying that close attention to his hands, but I went back a few episodes and I didn't really notice it before. Granted, he's been wearing gloves a lot. But my guess is, like, he had that in the back of his head as being a possibility. Like, he might get captured or wind up getting close enough to Envy to where he will need to destroy his Philosopher's Stone. And, yeah, then we see him actually become, like, a fighter. And we we see him actually fight. And I don't know if we call it fighting because it's not in the same way that we see, like, Ed or Riza or Al fight or anything. But... He does get physical, he gets captured, he gets smacked around, and then he, you know, touches Envy and destroys the stone. It does make you think, like, maybe a younger Marco could be a great soldier. It came to it. It seemed like he, uh, I don't know if he had any fear in him, but at this moment, he lost all his fear, and he was, like, ready to go into the heat of the, the, the battle. Yeah, I think he's trying to find atonement, like, Unlike a lot of the other soldiers we see, like even the one, the uh, senior soldier at the end who is talking about the immortal army, and we see kind of philosopher stones in the background. You can kind of catch that. So obviously, this army is being created with philosopher stones, and they know what philosopher stones are. They're created from people. So this guy is just like, whatever. Hey, this is for the greater good or whatever, for the greater cause. So I don't care. But then we see Marco, who's just like horrified at the fact that he created a philosopher's stone out of people and he is trying his best to redeem himself. Like he knows he's not able to bring the people back to life or anything, but he is trying to like be a better person moving forward and help as much as he can. I'm also like, don't let Marco go, you know, Al. Keep Marco near you. He knows how to take down the homuncula you know like these these like who's left there's gluttony greed pride sloth we still got a few like four to deal with that gives everyone else a hard time but marco knows how to kind of cut them down quickly don't let him go away yeah oh maybe he'll come back like i think it's just going to be temporary to be honest I mean, I I hope everyone comes back. This is kind of like a sad... Everyone's... like It feels like, oh, we've completed our mission and now we all go and do our own thing. But no, we still got like a whole mission to do. So... I don't want them to split up. Well, remember, we still have like a season and a half left, so I'm pretty sure we'll wind up seeing them again. The only upside I see to them splitting up is that I I really want to see how Al does by himself. 
Well, I'm sure Winry is going to go with them. Yeah, because I don't think they're going to leave Winry alone in the uh, in the slum. And I have no idea where Yoki's going to go because I don't remember them mentioning where he is. Because okay, so we know May is leaving uh, the country for for Shing. Marco and Scar are going wherever it is they're going. Al's going to Lior, and I think Winry is joining him. But yeah, where's I guess maybe Yoki's going with them, or he's I don't know doing whatever. I feel like Yoki would go with Scar because I don't know. There's some kind of like he owes Scar his life or something like that. Maybe. Oh, and there's the, the um, what is it? The three uh, not three, the two Chimera, Gerso uh, and Zampano. They're uh, they're around too. So I wonder maybe he's going with them or maybe they're following Al. I don't know. I mean, it's not like they have anywhere else to go. I think. I think they follow Al because they want to get their bodies back. And Al's the only one who seems to be like, I want to figure stuff out. Everyone else is kind of like, May's got her missions done, and Scar's like got a new path he's he's creating for himself. Al's the only one who's like, yeah, I'm gonna stay true to what what we've all been doing. So, I think they might go with him. True, and he is the only one who seems to care about getting the body back, and or. He's the only one who's motivated to get a body back in the same way that they are. So, like you said, there's reason for them to follow Al because he's likely, more likely than anybody else, to find the answer. I am excited to see how Al does because Al is going to be the leader of this group. And we've never really seen Al be the leader. I agree. We never see him lead. It's always usually Ed. And Al's kind of a sidekick, but we have no idea where Ed is, other than he was taken away to be, you know, uh, cared for by a doctor somewhere, I'm guessing somewhere in the snowy area. But, you know, other than that, we have no idea where Ed is. And Al's just kind of assuming, well, I mean, Al's like, I know Ed's not dead. Like, he was, there's no way he'd let himself die, and he would want us to continue moving forward and running and meet up with him rather than going back. So yeah, Al, Al's definitely taking a leadership role. Yeah. So Al's going to Lior. I don't know. I don't think Hohenheim's going to be there. Cause I think Hohenheim's going to find father, I guess. I don't know. Was it at the end of last episode where, Pride was like, uh, not Father quite. Wants to it was the uh, last episode. He sent a message. He sent Pride a message to give Father back about how he was coming to meet him at some point. Uh, and then Father, I guess, was able to hear it through Pride and accepted. But yeah, we don't know if Hohenheim just left right then. Also, we don't know, you know, time wise when this episode takes place. Like maybe, like, in ter- we know what the episode takes place in terms of release, but maybe, you know, Maybe the when Hohenheim is in Lior is like right after time wise, right after they leave, uh, leave that small village. So there's a good chance that they'll bump into each other or something. I am hoping that he joins the fold. It does feel like yeah. every character has a piece of this puzzle, and. They're going to put it all together once they all kind of come back as one. So I'm excited. I'm really excited to see them all to get together. I don't want, I kind of want Hohenheim to meet Ed and Al together because now we're kind of all everywhere. 
I mean, there's another season and a half or so left, so it's probably going to happen. Like, I just think it's it, since Al says he's going to Lior, and in the previous episode we saw that Hohenheim is in Lior. It's to me, it's kind of obvious that they're setting up them meeting, and at some point Ed's going to come back in the show, and I don't know wherever he is, he'll somehow get word of where Alphonse is, or. I don't know where the other chimera went or something and then wind up running into each other and meeting up again. I do think it's interesting. Now I'm like thinking back about envy in that jar that Marco note, like said he knew how to just like destroy a philosopher's stone, but envy is not destroyed. No, envy is kind of turned into this slug thing. Yeah. So I'm wondering if this is the same for the others. Well, so I think what we saw with Lust when she died was that she used up all of her energy in healing so she couldn't heal anymore. So that's why she was destroyed. Because we even see like when her stone drops on the ground, it dissolves into dust. My guess, and this is just a guess because we don't see Envy die like that. We don't even see him necessarily turn into like smoke or dust or disintegrate like we, we saw with Lust. We just see him kind of melt into that form. My guess is that like he released the souls of the Philosopher's Stone or something, and now what's left of Envy is just like one soul or whatever. So like if Envy if Envy were stepped on or something, he would die because he doesn't have any more life force left. Oh man, another good reason to just keep Marco around. Or at least be like, teach me how to do this. Yeah. Though I, we know we're going to run into others. Yeah, I doubt Marco wants to teach it because I think it's just reverse the ability to create a Philosopher's Stone. So I'm guessing he doesn't want to teach anybody anything about how to make a Philosopher's Stone. Uh, I could understand that. I mean, this is probably like... Well, I mean, it probably is the worst thing he's ever done in his life. But a major regret for him. Yeah, because he, he goes on and on about it. It's the devil's work and everything. So maybe he's not going to teach Al because he just doesn't want Al to have that knowledge. It is interesting thinking about how a young Marco kind of went through this research. It didn't seem, I don't know, may, maybe he was forced to do it. But you see him now and he has so much regret on that part of his life. So... I wonder what a young Marco was thinking. Yeah, who knows? He might not have known the extent of what he was doing. Because we see in like one of the flashbacks when they're creating the Philosopher's Stone out of the Ishvalans, he kind of has a horrified look on his face. So I think like that was probably when it was actually sinking into him, was what, what he was doing. Yeah, it, and again, like I guess this goes back to me like, 